When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Does picking an outfit have you running a little too fashionably late? We get it. Great taste takes time. That's why Drizzly, the number one app for alcohol delivery, has your back with the largest selection of beer, wine, and spirits, delivered in under 60 minutes. Convenience never goes out of style. So if you need to spend some extra time in the mirror instead of at the store, download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com today. You know, in turbulent times, it's always good to be aware of your surroundings. It's always good to know what's going on around you. It's great to be up on things. And if you want to be up on things, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Decibel Geek Podcast presents Geek Wire, your weekly dose of the latest and greatest happenings in the world of rock and hard rock and heavy metal. My name is Aaron Camaro, joined as always by my main man, my good buddy, all-around kick-ass dude, and a man who's in the know, Chris Sinzak. How you doing, brother? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing all right. Doing okay. <laughs> Technical difficulties aside. <laughs> 12 years, and we still can't figure it out sometimes, but I hope I sound a little bit better. This has been a whole fiasco with this whole me recording thing. I got a new laptop, trying to get it figured out. Last week, I sounded like hell. I tell you, I'll tell you the story about the microphone. Real quick, this is news. This is a new segment called Aaron Camaro's Handy Corner. (laughs) So I'm fighting around with these microphones and my soundboard and the new laptop trying to get it figured out. And I've been noticing kind of a hiss in my audio the last couple of weeks. I've been fighting to tone that down and couldn't figure out what it was. It's like the soundboard is set exactly the way Toby Wright set it for me all them years ago. Nothing's changed. The microphone cables, I've tried two different microphone cables, both of them should be fine, and both of them do the same thing. So I figure, well, by odds of elimination, it shouldn't be the cord. So then I get looking at my microphone, and I'm like, man, this is an old microphone. You know, there ain't no telling from what year this sure mic is from. Because sometimes people that do podcasting, they'll ask me, what kind of microphone do you use? Let me tell you, it's a sure SM58. And so I go, man, I wonder how old this microphone is. And so I look it up. It's like, is there a way to tell? I know a lot of people out there probably own own these old school Shure mics. 
this might come in handy for you. So I found out that if you carefully take your microphone apart, it comes apart in three pieces. The, uh, the metal cap, where the words and the beautiful sounds go into, and then halfway down, it opens up. And then you can look down inside and see like the components with the wiring and stuff. And if you look down in there, you might need a magnifying glass. There's a code punched into each one of these little boards that are inside there. And based on that, you can figure out how old your microphone is. Mine's pretty hard to tell because the number in it is kind of double punched. So it's kind of hard to read. But I think it's from 1996 as far as I can figure out. This is an old microphone, but it's a classic, you know, it's a sure. And so I take off the top part, you know, the metal part, the head. I don't know what you call it. I'm no technical wizard when it comes to microphones. And I look down in it and it is filthy, (laughs) disgusting, like crumbs of rock and roll since 1996 or God knows what was sung or spoken into it all these years before I got it at a yard sale many years ago. (laughs) And I go, oh, my God. And it's like this brown dirt inside there. So it's like. You know, the stuff that got past the puff guards over the years and, you know, it's got the little inner puff guard in there. So some particles get through and eventually after 20 some years, you know, the particles build up and it looks like brown dirt inside there. So I cleaned it all up really good. Got it all set back up. Chris and I record a little Chris and Aaron show for the Decibel Geek VIPs over on Patreon. And it sounds awesome. It's like. This is perfect. And then we try to record the actual show and none of it's working. (laughs) (laughs) So I hope it sounds okay this week because I know I've been a a little rough the past couple, but it's a work in progress. We'll get back on track. I promise. (laughs) Aaron's coming to you today through a laptop microphone. I am. So I hope it works. It's my brand new laptop, so it should be top of the line microphone, I would think. But I can't really tell by what I'm hearing through my microphone how I sound. But the levels look good. <laughs> so we're going to trust it. <laughs> how did we get to 500 episodes? I have no idea. No idea. It's crazy. <laughs> well, I've got, the, like, I've got a really nice roadcaster for my mixing board. But the mic I'm using is, is like a $35 mic. It's a, yeah. it's a knockoff, sure. Oh, wow. <laughs> but it sounds fine. <laughs> it always makes me laugh sometimes. You see these guys, they got like these mega awesome, you know, multi-thousand dollar microphones. And I mean, basically, they all do the same thing. Right. Wow. Yeah. I like this. I like this one I got that looks like it's pounded nails back into stages. Yep. When you, when you have voices as awesome as ours, it doesn't matter what mic you use, right? Uh, I guess we're going to find out. (laughs) Here comes the hate mail. Yeah. All right. Well, there's your uh, Aaron Camaro handyman corner. Open up the tops of your microphones once in a while, especially if they're old mics. You know, these sure mics have been being there. They've been in creation since like the late 60s. So who knows how old your old sure mic is. But one thing's for sure. You need to open that thing up and clean it out every decade. Yeah, I'm scared to open this thing up. Yeah. 
<laughs> the lizard people, they're real and tiny. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, not a, not a lot of earth shattering news. I'll be honest. It's kind of a slow news time for the rock world, but uh, I think I've got some interesting stuff to talk about today. Okay, cool. All right. First up, um, our good old friend, Sebastian Bach was interviewed recently by Jonathan Montenegro's my three questions Two series. And he was asked what he misses about the music industry of the late eighties and early nineties. He says, what I would say I miss about the music industry is the music industry. There really isn't one anymore. It's more, it's more based on social media. Um, what do I miss about then in the music industry? Well, back then, we used to have to go to a record store, spend a couple hours choosing what music you wanted to buy. Nowadays, you can just press a button and get every song recorded by man. So it was much more invested. Also, not just anybody was making records in the 80s. You had to get a record contract, and you had to prove that you were worthy of making records. There was no such thing as Pro Tools to adjust your performance in the studio. It was a much more organic, realistic way of recording then because we didn't just have the technology that we have there. And then he goes on and says, you know, he misses rock rock videos on TV, MTV being a big deal. Um, but, I mean, I, I mean, it's nothing, like I said, definitely nothing earth-shattering, but I, I do wow. happen to agree with him on all points on this. Yeah, as much as I hate to agree with Sebastian Bach on anything, he's 100% right. Those are all the things that we all miss about this kind of music, about how when it was – so widely accepted and beloved and in those days you know you, you had mtv playing you know videos of your favorite bands and a lot of other stuff but you had magazines like metal edge and hit parader and circus and rip and you know cream if you were overseas and all these great magazines and you know going to the record store was an experience and waiting for an album to come out was an experience that you know, it's not it's not the same anymore. I mean, there's as much there's amazing great bands out there. The music industry is nothing like it was. And here's a perfect example of that. Jizzy Pearl from Quiet Riot and of course Love Hate, awesome lead vocalist, one of my favorite of all time. They got a new album out, Jizzy Pearl's Love Hate, and He's got a channel on the YouTube that's got some really cool stuff on it. And it's a lot of him doing some one-on-one stuff, telling stories about the strip and really cool because Jizzy Pearl's a hell of a storyteller. And one of the most recent things he did was uh, talking about singing, you know, and talking about the difference between going and paying $2,500 a day for a studio. Mm. You know, so then talking about, okay, so what goes in and what, how much time does it take and how long does it take to do these songs? Is it a song a day? Is it 10 songs? I mean, you're talking a lot of money now. He says today that's all obsolete because with the right setup, you can do the lead vocals on the new Jizzy Pearl's Love Hate album at your house. And he uses GarageBand. And he's got a little bit of technical equipment that he uses, but not much. He's got a good microphone and he's comfortable and he doesn't have to go pay for a studio. He says, you know, nowadays when you're planning on releasing an album, most of the money goes into the mixing of the album Mm -hmm. as much as it would have at one time been to rent studio time at a very high price. He says he gets the rough tracks together. 
sends it to his guys, sends it to the guitar player. He goes into a real studio, lays down his stuff. The drummer, he goes into a real studio, lays down his stuff. They send it back to him. He pieces it together. He uses that to put in where the vocals are going to go. He's got like a basic track. And then from there, once he's done with his vocals and is excited about it and happy with it, then it's time to send it off to be mixed and mastered. And he said that's where most of the money comes from or where it has to be allotted to in today's process of making an album. It's a really cool thing. And Jizzy Pearl is a wise man, and he's seen a lot of stuff over the years, and he knows what he's talking about. So if you're a fan of rock and roll or if you love Jizzy Pearl like I do, then you really ought to check out his YouTube channel because there's a, just a ton of cool stuff on there. Yeah, I saw something about that. I haven't had a chance to watch any of the videos yet, but I've heard it's pretty entertaining. It's really good. I enjoy it. Um, Queensryche uh, announced uh, an, an early 2023 U.S. tour coming out uh, in support of their Digital Noise Alliance album that came out this year. And I, as a lot of you know, they just wrapped up opening up for Priest on their tour. Um, but they're going out and doing their own, and uh, they're gonna they're touring, and also have uh, former Megadeth guitarist Marty Friedman opening the show, which is kind of cool. Wow! Um, and he's uh, Todd Latore uh, spoke to that uh, the metal voice in out of Canada, and said uh, we have Marty Friedman as direct support, which I think people will really dig because it's kind of a more rare sighting to see him over here, and there's also the band Trauma is on the band is on the bill that was cliff burton's band before metallica and they're still around yeah i had no idea but apparently they have a new record out too wow yeah okay that's interesting i wonder what that's like i'll have to check it out um but he said so that's going to be a good six and a half week whatever that turns out to be tour and we've got other stuff in the works for later in the year but uh he also mentioned they're going to play a nice handful of songs from the new record and the last three records and he says and then i I think we're talking about doing some pretty deep cuts that have never been done since the beginning of the band and wow. may, maybe something that hasn't been done for sure, at least maybe since I joined the band and then you'll have a few staple songs. So I, if you're a Queens, right? Die hard. This might be a good tour to check out. I was, I was listening to the new record uh, a couple days ago. I mean, f- for a Queens, record, it's pretty damn good. I think it's going to make your top 10. Maybe. It's in, okay. it's in contention. It's it, th- right. there's a few songs I really love, but then there's all nah. I'll I'll explain more if it does make the top ten. But I mean, overall, very good. I think I may have liked the verdict a little bit better than this one, but I do like yeah. it. Okay, well, man, it sounds like good times to be a Queensrÿche fan in the world. I'm pretty sure that tour is hitting Nashville. If it does, yeah. I'll, I'll definitely. Go. I think they're playing Brooklyn Bowl here. I might even go check that out. And you know, I'm not. I don't know. Queensryche's a band I need to do a deeper dive on because, I mean, I don't know. It was Silent Lucidity. That (laughs) ruined it for me. Totally. And this is a story of so many bands, you know, that have the one first song I hear again and again and again and again is one of the songs that, I mean, I know there's other Queensryche songs I like. You know, I do like the song Jet City Woman. But I don't think I ever gave him enough of a chance because I hated Silent Lucidity so bad. Oh, man. You missed out on a lot of great music. Yeah. I've got some of their CDs. I really need to listen to them. I think you would like Mind Crime, it is, but it is a concept record. But before that, if you get into Rage for Order and The, and, um, the Warning, I think you would like either of those probably the most. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, maybe somebody will have to force me and put me on assignment on a Queensryche album someday. Or the heavier side of Queensryche. Yeah. All right. Um, so the Hell in Heaven Metal Fest took place recently in, I think, Mexico. Yeah, in Mexico. And um, a photo came out from this festival that uh, quite literally represents the name of the festival. Yeah. It was a picture of Michael Sweet from Striper and King Diamond posing together. How cool is that? And uh, I thought it was pretty interesting. And um, Michael Sweet was on uh, Waste Some Time with Jason Green. It's a great YouTube show. You should check out um, about it. And uh, so King Diamond, if you don't know, his real name is Kim Bendix Peterson, which I didn't know until I saw this article. Yeah. and uh, It just doesn't have the ring of King Diamond, you know? His name is Kim. Is it- if you're gonna be gonna be like the the Lord Satanic Majesty here on Earth, you can't go around, you know, being known as Kim Peterson. Yeah, but uh, Michael Sweet had to say, uh, in all the all these years, I've had this perception of Kim, and then I met Kim, and he was so polite, one of the nicest guys I've ever met, very cordial and friendly. He took a picture, shook my hand, looked looked into my eyes, and engaged in conversation. And you could tell he was interested in talking, and I was just blown away, and all those perceptions were annihilated because I felt like, okay, here's this guy that probably won't like us or like me, and we had this great conversation. If we went to dinner and had a dinner, we'd probably have a great dinner, but we're polar opposites, so I find that very interesting, and at the end of the day, it makes me realize that we're all the same. We're all flesh and blood. We all have feelings. We all have emotions, and most of those are the same. See, isn't that a beautiful thing? In 2022... If Striper and King Diamond can get along, what the hell's wrong with everybody else? <laughs> maybe we're maybe there's hope for us all if those two guys can yeah, get along. Yeah, man, that's awesome. You know, you talk about the opposite of the spectrum, especially back in their heydays, you know, even though they're still around today and still putting out great music. But talk about back in the days when, like Sebastian Bach said, when there was music videos and there was magazines. I remember seeing like Striper and King Diamond on album covers or Striper and Wasp, you know, and always the jokes about like what how funny it would be for those bands to tour together. But I mean, after all these years, man, who would ever thought that in 2022, Michael Sweet and King Diamond would meet for the first time and get along great. Mm -hmm. I love it. And for the record, um, Striper and Slayer were scheduled to play the same festival years ago, and it was Slayer that pushed out on it. Oh, the power of light was too much that day. <laughs> I don't know. Somebody will, probably, <laughs> somebody will probably correct me, but I'm pretty sure I'm right on this, that, that Slayer backed out of doing the gig. Probably Kerry King's idea. Yeah, I doubt it had to do with they were intimidated by the righteousness of striper or anything. I don't know. I mean, but Kerry King loved to play up the whole satanic thing. Like he really lived it, but I don't know if he did or not. Well, I mean, in King diamond, you know, he, he's the master of that. You know, you ever listen to some of them lyrics, you know, and we've been in full on Metallica mode. I know I have, I know you have these last couple of weeks and I was listening to the song off of garage Inc. That's called merciful fate. Mm hmm. And it's a medley of like four or five different Merciful Fate songs. And it's all about, you know, Satan this and come to the coven with me and become Satan's child. And you're just a corpse without a soul. And, you know, it's like, wow, you know, of course, 
doing covers of Merciful Fate is like the most evil lyrics of all Metallica songs. Oh, yeah. Well, and, it, and, you know, my parents were pretty free-thinking people, and it didn't take... There wasn't much that ever shocked them that I was into, even when I got into Kiss or when I got into Wasp, or they usually would just laugh or roll their eyes at it and be like, oh, that's goofy. Yeah. But I did have a, a King Diamond compilation cassette tape called The Dark Sides back in... uh this must have been the late eighties. Yeah. And it's, it actually had him with the makeup on the cover with where it was the makeup. He got sued by Gene Simmons over. Cause it looked a lot like Gene. And, um, I tried getting into him for a while, but it had some pretty insane songs on it. And I don't remember what song it was. I was playing, but I was blasting that tape in my room one day and my mom walked in and heard some of it. She's like, that's pretty fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> she, uh, that was, she was like, that's, that's dark. And I was like, yeah. So I was like, the, he was, King Diamond was like one of the only artists that ever freaked my parents out. Yeah. He kind of freaked me out too when I was younger. Yeah. And I, I never could get into him though. The, the vocals are just way too high. Yeah. It's kind of like, I feel like Ghost is like a very like modern version oh, yeah. of King Diamond, Merciful Fate kind of stuff, especially the vocals, you know, and of course the gimmick. Yeah. But. Yeah, I think uh, Ghost, as popular as they are today, I wonder how many of their young fans could listen to some old Merciful Fate and dig it. I don't know. It's, yeah, it's a definite acquired taste. See, now that seems like a partnership or a tour that's so obvious. Why hasn't that happened? Ghost with Merciful Fate opening up. They could probably do arenas with that lineup. I would sure think so, you know. I mean, you know where all the Satan worshipers were that night? <laughs> oh man. Um so All the, the goth ev- kids. Yeah. So uh the the ever working George Lynch says the new Lynch Mob album is almost done and uh confirms that uh they the the end machine which is one of his many projects for Frontiers now has a new singer. What? Yeah. <laughs> man, Robert Mason was really a big part about what made me like the end machine mm-hmm. but i'm kind of excited for this because there's another band on frontiers that it's a newer band that i've gotten into this year and they, they actually are in contention for album of the year for me um it's a band called gearish and the chronicles hmm. and uh i started the the singer for this band has a, a killer voice so He's going to be the singer for the end. I mean, it's the end machine project. It's not like they're ever going to go tour. Um, right. And, okay. Because George, George could do it, but Jeff Pilson is the bassist and Jeff is on the road with foreigner, like all the, all the time. <clears throat> but he said, we loved Robert Mason and he's an incredible singer, but we felt it was time for a little bit of a change. So of all the records I'm working on, and there's a lot, I'm most excited about the next end machine album. It's really powerful. And some of the tracks are downright scary. Good. But Huh. I I don't know. Somebody that I know shared the link to this story, and they were like, "George George Lynch w- once again proves that he can't keep a band together." Uh, yeah, that sucks. I wonder if he's difficult to work with. Uh, I guess depends on if you ask Don Dockin or not. Uh, you know what he'll say? <laughs> that son of a bitch, <laughs> hardest guy to work with ever. I hate him. And I mean, I and I. I know all these Frontiers projects, people like to laugh at them and say, oh, it's just a vanity project for the guy that owns the company. And maybe it is. But, I mean, we've found several really good songs from, you know, a lot of these bands. 
Yeah, I mean, I was talking to somebody not too long ago that didn't have fair things to say about Frontiers, and I was like, look, as a fan, we reap the benefits of it, whatever it is, you know, because where else are you going to find an album that's got Michael Sweet and Tracy Guns on it, you know, and things like that? I mean, I think it's great, you know, like the End Machine it's not a band that's going to go on tour. It's just a group of musicians getting together with a theme of hard rock music and putting stuff out there. I'm okay with that because I've got the first couple and machine albums and they're fucking awesome. Frontiers is like fantasy football for rock fans. Yeah, kind of, kind of like the way rare hair is for us here in Nashville and people going to rock and pod. Yeah. Put your favorite all-star lineup together, right? I like that. I think it's very cool because then you're getting an opportunity to hear things that you would have never heard before. Combinations of musicians that you would have never imagined playing together. You know, how many times have you played that fantasy? Oh, what if this guy played in that band? Or what if that guy was in this band? You know, how cool would that be? You know, I'd be, it's pretty great, man. I wish I could do it. Like. <laughs> <laughs> Well, um, like, guess what? Ace Frehley's playing on all your new albums. Right. <laughs> Everything is now an Ace Frehley project. <laughs> Ace is going to be tired. Um, so John Karabi back in the news talking smack about Motley Crue, uh, which I guess, you know, we could do a story on this pretty much every week, but uh, it's always interesting to hear from John. Um, backstage past Rock News interviewed him, and uh, he said... I am close to Mick, and I do occasionally talk with Tommy via the internet. He'll comment on a picture. He'll comment on something. I'm even fine with Vince. If Vince walked right in here now, I'd give him a hug, and we'd sit down and have a drink together. That would be fine. You'd have more than a drink together. But anyway, um, Nikki, really, and I know I'm opening a can because Blabbermouth's going to get a hold of this. They always do, and they did. That's why I'm reading this. Right. Uh, but Nikki, for some weird reason, he did some interviews like five, six, seven years ago, and he just sat there and just out of the blue started saying that the record I made – sucked and i couldn't write and it was a horrible experience working with me it doesn't really matter to me i don't really care i've seen nikki a few times we saw each other at loud park in japan when i was with the daisies and he just chooses to not say hi if he wants to be the way he wants to be i don't care okay fine if you want to talk to me i don't care we're fine whatever it is what it is but uh the big takeaway in this interview is his thoughts on mcmars leaving the band and uh, he said, I've, a I've answered this already, and a few days later it was on Blabbermouth. So apparently Blabbermouth has nothing else to talk about but me. Personally, my verdict is, and I, I have an opinion, I have a thought on what transpired, but I haven't heard anything from Mick. The statement that we've all gotten was from Motley and their management and whoever's on that side of the camp. I know John Five. I think he's a brilliant guitar player. I'm not taking anything away from him because I love the guy to death. He's a guitarist, guitarist. But I can't help but think when we were doing Gen Generation Swine, there was a rub between me and Mick, which transpired during. They'd already told me that they were bringing Vince back, and the manager said, can you help them finish the record? And I said, yes. And every day, Nikki would call me at 9 or 10 o'clock in the morning. And it, every day, they would call me at 9 or 10 o'clock in the morning. And it was Nikki, this guy, Scott Humphrey, and Tommy, who was producing the record. And they would call me every day, and they would say, hey, can you come by the studio and play some guitar? And I said, well, as long as Mick is cool with it, sure. Well, every day I get to the studio and they just complain like, oh, my God, we had Mick here yesterday till 2 o'clock in the morning. We couldn't get anything out of him and blah, blah, blah. So that was 95, and then they did the record. Now I can tell you right now that most of the rhythm, rhythms on that record were mine. And if Mick was sitting here, he'd go, yeah, most of the guitars were his. 
So I played on the Generation Swine record. I don't know if Mick yeah. played on New Tattoo. I'm not sure. But I know it was DJ Ashba and Red, White, and Crew on the new songs. And on Saints of Los Angeles, it was DJ Ashba. Man. Then in the movie The Dirt, the new songs that they did, uh, Like a Virgin and all that shit, it's John 5. So they haven't had Mick. They haven't been using him since fuck 95. And he said, uh, God, this guy, he goes on forever. I don't want to read this entire thing. This is like a... Big old Motley Crue guitar spoiler alert. Yeah, and he says again. That's kind of a bummer to hear all that. He says, uh, I'm just looking at things the way I look at them, and I can't help but think that they just went for the upgrade in their minds. You do have a history there. The fans are used to that history. And you know what, folks, if I'm wrong, I'll come back again with you, and I'll say I apologize. I'm wrong. But until I hear it from Mick, I don't buy any of it. So basically what he's saying is Motley Crue says, you know, you're still part of the band. You're still going to receive, you know, a, a portion of the I- income. But it's time for you to step down, but we're going to play it off. We can all play it off like it's your decision to yeah. step down so you don't lose face. But we, we're basically telling you, you know, yeah. you're done for. Wow. But, you, but you've known that for a long time, Mick. Yeah. Well, and I've... <laughs> I'm not going to say this person's name, but I did see somebody recently out at a show that let's just say they know what's going on or they had some involvement with a mix camp and they made it pretty clear to me that there's some bad blood there between Mick and Motley right now. Yeah. Wow. Why do you think Nikki six hates John Karabi so much? I mean, I, that I've never really understood. Like, if anything, you would think John Karabi would be the one that would be mad at the band for bringing him in, putting together an amazing album, and then going oh, out on your ass. But we still need your help, yeah. but we're not going to give you any credit. you think John would be the one that would harbor these bad feelings. Like, unless Nikki just feels so guilty about it, he has to you know, act like a dick to cover it. I don't understand. Uh, I, I think it's a several factors. The biggest one being that Nikki six kind of went to the same PR school as Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley to where it's like, if you're not part of the band now, then I have to push the band now. And if that means dogging people that aren't in the band anymore, then so be it. It's a, it's like, it, they don't believe two things can be true. They don't believe that, that you can say that the band's great right now, but also it was great when Karabi was in the band or Karabi was great at songwriting. And also Karabi did sue Nikki and was public about it. Yeah. So I guess that's the thing then. Yeah. I think that's the biggest thing is it's a shot. And it's also a shot to Nikki's ego that John gets so much praise for that record. Cause other than that record, Nikki's pretty much the main songwriter in that band. Yeah. So it hurts his ego. That's too bad. It's too bad. It shouldn't have to be like that. Yeah. But yeah, I just love it. Karabi just says whatever he thinks. <laughs> yeah. That's all. Well, and then the whole thing with Mick Mars leads everybody to the next question. TikTok, TikTok, Vince Neal. I don't, I don't think too many people would complain about that move. Who do you get? My prediction, if they do it, they would get the guy that sings for classless act to, to be the singer. Oh yeah, because he's on that, he's on their management already, and they they opened the tour. Yeah, wow. I think he's been being groomed to be the guy. That's just that's me being a conspiracy theorist, though. Okay, I don't have any inside info on that. Hmm, should be interesting. Yeah. I wonder if Crew comes out with any new music. Doubt it. I mean, they got John Five now. 
why can't they go in and write a good new album? I yeah, I would not without Mick involved. What's the point? But then again, like Karabi was saying, Mick hasn't been involved since what ninety five on on the albums anyway. So who knows? Man, I hate to hear that though. You know, you always want to believe that Mick was a big part of it, but it makes makes you kind of sad. Kind of the way I felt when I found out the true story of Psycho Circus, you know? I wanted to believe that they were all together making that album. Or hearing about uh, the solo on Sweet Pain. <laughs> yeah. Even though now you respect it even more because you know a little something about Dick Wagner. Yeah. But still, you know, did not all them years never to think twice about it. Why would anybody else be playing the solo on any of these songs? Right. Kisses the band. They're the only ones playing the instruments and singing the songs. And then you get older and you find out the real truth, like, you know, the behind the curtain shit that sometimes you wish you didn't even know. Well, and if you go into Bob Bezrin's discography in general, I mean, to re- replacement players all over the place for yeah. no matter who he worked with, he would replace yeah. people. That's just the way he works on things. Oh man! So uh, next story, uh, Brian Johnson, who is he, he's been promoting his uh, autobiography. Uh, this was an interesting quote. Uh, he did an interview with QFM ninety six's Torgan Elliott radio show, and he was asked if he ever met someone famous that he was in awe of, and he says, "Yes, that has happened, and it was Paul McCartney." I didn't know what to say with him. I mean, for the first time, I was absolutely tongue tied. And then Ringo Starr walked in beside him, and it was Paul that spoke to me because he heard me talking to somebody. He says, "Hello, Jordy." You know, because they call us Geordies with that accent. And I went, hello, Paul, Sir Paul, your honor, your majesty. I didn't know what to call him. I just came across like I was breaking a friend's teeth in. I couldn't speak. So it was hard. And then we became friends, which is even harder to describe. If you're at a hotel and somebody like McCartney says, fancy a spot of lunch, kid. And you go, yes. (laughs) Wow. Brian Johnson and Paul McCartney hanging out together. That's just, I just. Nothing, there's nothing salacious with that story. I just thought it was cool that somebody on Brian Johnson's level is still yeah. alive, meeting Paul McCartney. Yeah, I like to ask people that too. Like sometimes we've had guests on and things like that. Like you know, everybody gets excited meeting you, but who did you get excited meeting? Because yeah. we're That's all a great question. We're all fans of something. You know? Yeah. So, uh, oh, here's the Kiss portion of the show. Oh no, it's <laughs> it's never good news anymore with Kiss. Uh, well, I guess it's good news if you still support them now. Um, they have announced their final UK tour dates. Insert laugh track. Um, so, yeah, they've uh, announced they're going back to, to the UK. Uh, they're playing in June and July at, it uh, looks like, six different gigs. And um, But, yeah, so the never-ending end-of-the-road tour continues. Eh, there's money to be made. Might as well go out and get it. Can't fault him for that, I suppose. Some uh, steely-eyed fans noticed something interesting on the pr- promote the uh, promo images of it. That, I mean, they're still using the same like enhanced photo of the band um, for the flyer, but on the back they've got like two banks of lights on either side, and if you look closely, you can see a five on one side and a zero on the other. So I think they're getting everybody ready because the end of the road tour is about to switch over to the fiftieth anniversary tour. Oh, no. (laughs) Will it never end? It will never end. As long as that tape machine keeps working, they'll keep going. Jeez. Well, And then when the year's over, then it's like, okay, 
back to the farewell tour. <laughs> the we End really of the road. need it this time tour. Golly. Or they could uh, go from the end of the road tour to the detour. <laughs> I just don't even care anymore. Kiss was cared in a long time. Kiss was once a band I cared so much about. Like anytime they'd be in the news, they'd be like, "This is awesome! I'm so excited for Kiss." Right. And now it's like, man, every time Kiss comes up in the news, it's never nothing. I go, "Hey, that's really awesome." Nope, never. Well, except for the Creatures box set, that was cool. Ah, uh, yeah, you got me there. That was pretty cool. Yeah, I, I just wish they would focus on stuff like that. You know, just. <laughs> Just work on your archives. Quit. I don't know, but they're making millions, so more power to them. Right, like I said, you know, the money's out there. People still want to see it. I mean, shit. While you're still able to do it, <laughs> and then hol- hol- or and then or something like that, and then hologram kiss will take over. Yeah, but they won't tell anybody it's not holograms. <laughs> oh, that's us. It that's really, really is. They're backstage working the levers. And then the uh, the Space Ace character will get on the mic and say, I'm an imposter. Ace is back at his house. Uh-huh. He really will be. Um, all right. Well, uh, I thought this was really uh, touching, and I almost shed a tear watching the video for it. Quiet Riot has uh, released a new – It's a, well, it's a new song of an old recording that features Kevin Dubrow on vocals and Frankie Benali on drums. Uh, it's a song called I Can't Hold On. Pretty interesting story behind it. Um, I watched the video the other day, and it, it kind of explains it in the video, but <clears throat> it was a demo that Alex Grossi was working on with Kevin, and they they had demoed it, at least as far as like the vocals and the guitar parts. I think I've got this right. And, but like, it was just a demo and he thought he had lost it for years. And then he found his old iPod and the demo was still sitting on the iPod. Oh, wow. And so that they got together and then got Rudy Sarzo to come in and do a bass part for it also, or it had the, it had the drum, it had Frankie's drum part on it, obviously. Um, and they finished it off and released it. And the video is, it's a tearjerker video, man. Yeah. It goes through, you know, Frankie getting cancer and, you know, them, him hugging it out with Rudy and it's, and a lot of great old footage of Kevin and it's, it was hard to watch, but I got to say the song is damn good. Yeah. I liked it too. I thought it was pretty cool. You know, at first, like my first reaction is like, Oh, this ain't a new Jizzy Pearl song. Cause I like quiet riot better today than I ever have. Right. I was never a big quiet riot fan when I was young too. I mean, come on, feel the noise was cool, but they didn't really, I don't know. They never really had nothing after that that I thought was worth following through on. Well, they had uh, the wild and the young. <laughs> it's all right. It's better now when the band plays like it now, I think. I, the, the, as long as I ignore the video for it, I like the song. I think maybe maybe it just wasn't I, something about the way Kevin Dubrow sang, I think. Yeah, he kind of ye- yelled all the time. I couldn't really vibe with that too much, but... When Jizzy Pearl's doing those songs live, man, I love it. Yeah. We seen him last summer, and it was quite right. It was amazing. I mean, so much fire and energy. Even though it's you know Rudy's there at least you know, and then it's got other guys that had part in the band over the years, and Jizzy Pearl on lead vocals, and it's great. It's still pretty cool to get something like this, yeah. you know, a surprise from the archives. And 
as I've gotten older, I've learned to appreciate that earlier quiet riot a lot more than I did when I was young. Yeah, I um, I'll always give credit to the "Come On, Feel the Noise" video though, because that was that was the, between that and the Twisted Sister videos that were big at the time. The those were like my real introduction to kind of arena rock and hair metal. So it was. I I remember even before I became a real rock big rock fan. Come on, feel the noise! I loved that song as a kid. So yeah, and I would I loved it when the video would come on. I, I just had a I had a blast watching it. So I you know I'm I'm happy that they put this song out there. I got to say when I saw they were you know pumping it up the week before, and I was like, oh god, what is this going to sound like? But I was pleasantly surprised. Yeah, the song is cool. I dig it, and the whole sentiment of it. And it's good to remember Kevin DeBrow and Frankie Benali, you know, legendary people in the history of rock music. Yeah. All right. I'm going to, if you haven't seen this story, uh, prepare to get angry. Okay. I'm prepared. So Jane Andrews, who, if you don't know, is Judas Priest's manager and also uh, Glenn Tipton's wife or girlfriend. She's, uh, <laughs> She was on the guest on the latest episode of Gabbing with Girlfriends, which is the, the podcast that's hosted by Gloria Butler, who is the wife of Geezer Butler. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. I had no idea. <laughs> yeah. She's got a, her own podcast. And uh, during the chat, which can be, you know, it's, it's, Jane Andrews spoke about Judas Priest's recent reunion on stage with K.K. Downing at the Hall of Fame induction. Yeah. Oh, I hate this quote. She says, It was a bit strange, to be honest, because I dealt with everything for KK and Les Binks. Les, I'd never met him before. I never had any reasons to have any dealings with him, but he seemed really nice, really friendly. He came and introduced himself to me. We bumped into him at the airport. They were on the same flight as us. And Ken, KK, just kept kept himself to himself. Even when he got on stage with the band, he didn't really communicate much with anybody. When Butler noted that the whole situation seemed sad and bizarre, she said, well, it was because to me, if there ever was a time to try and build bridges, that was it. Yeah. It was such a massive accolade for all of them, for KK and for Les, for Rob and Glenn and Ian and Scott and Dave Holland, who's no longer with us, but he was inducted. Well, we all said any grievances or problems, we put them behind us. This is a very positive time, and that's the way we looked at it. And it's just a shame that KK didn't seem to look at it the same way. It's sad for him, really, because it shows, I don't know, it shows really that all the things that he says when he had the opportunity, he didn't take it. He could have stuck his head around the door in the dressing room because they'd arranged separate dressing rooms. Well, there's five of them in Priest's lineup anyway in the band, so you don't need another two in there as well. It was better because, obviously, I didn't know what would be happening, how the atmosphere would be, but to me, he should have just stuck his head around the door and said, thank you for inviting me on stage with you because they didn't have to. They were absolutely told, you can go on stage with who you want. You don't have to go with him or with anybody. You go with your band as you want. I said to the guys, it's a massive accolade to your careers to honor you for what you've done. And I said, it's eight and a half minutes of your life. Be the bigger man. Invite them both on stage, which is what they did. And to me, that would have made him the bigger man if he had just stuck his head around the door and done that. But, you know, there you go. What the fuck? (laughs) I mean, kind of has a point there. I don't know. I don't know about the thank you so much for, you know, including me, even though you didn't have to. Hey, if that's true, then you know what? They didn't have to. They just said, you know, this guy's talked a lot of shit now, you know, screw him. But that's not the right thing to do. So they did the right thing. 
So he's there. Wouldn't that have been the perfect opportunity for KK to go, you know what, guys, this feels good. You know, I'm a, let's let's put all the bullshit behind us. And what can we do to get this back together again? Wouldn't that have been the time? Well, I don't have so much. I don't like her quote. Let me finish the quote, though. <laughs> she said, to be honest, and I probably shouldn't really say this, KK seemed a little bit nervous and almost out of his depth. And when we talked about it afterwards, we thought, well, Priest have carried on touring all these years. He hasn't. So he's probably lost a bit of confidence coming to a big event like that. Obviously having to confront all of us. He didn't know how we would be. I said, we've got to see one person. He's got to see six people, really, five without me. Yeah. But it's just a shame that once he realized there was no animosity from our side, that he didn't just stick his head around the door and say, thank you, but here we go. He didn't, so never mind. I got to wonder how this really played out, though. I mean, you feel like, I don't know, like if you got together with your ex-wife or something, and yeah. it's been a long time, but now you're not just going to meet your ex-wife and hang out, going to meet your ex-wife and her whole family. Right. But, I mean, I've watched yeah. <laughs> I've watched the video of the performance. He looked happy as hell to be there, and he didn't look confused or out of his depth to me. He, he looked yeah. fine. He looked like he was happy. Him and uh, Richie interacted a lot together. I think she's probably talking about more not so much on the stage, but behind the scenes. You know, like you said, it's been a while. A lot of shit's been said, you know, mostly on KK's part. Yeah, wow. you know he could have come back in and you know sucked it up. Said you know what I talked a lot of shit. I'm sorry. You don't got to say thank you, but you could say sorry. It, you know, it, especially. It, but you know what? Maybe KK Downing doesn't even want to go back to Priest. Oh, I think he does. Well, then he should have stuck his head around the corner and said, "Hey guys, thanks for having me for this. It's really cool. I'd love to do more stuff like this. What? Whatever happened to us anyway? What's? Let's forget all that. Can I come back to the band? And they'd probably been like, "Hell yeah, that's what everybody always wanted." I don't know. I just. I feel like we're not getting the whole story, which of course KK is not afraid to say what he thinks. So expect him to have his own side of this in the next yeah. few weeks. I'm sure should be interesting. Like, yeah, they had one big room and they stuck me in the closet, called it my room. <laughs> well, with Jane Andrews track record, it wouldn't shock me. Yeah. But I think she, as a business person looks at it as, you know, it's more of an attraction when KK's there. There's probably a lot of older Judas Priest fans that say, I don't want to go see Priest anymore because KK's not there. You would think so, but he, I mean, he talks so much smack about her in particular in his book um, that I think there's definite bad blood between her and him in particular. Yeah, she could be uh, slighting the story a little bit. Oh, I'm sure she is. That's why I'm looking forward to his side of this because I'm sure he's going to have something to say. Well, maybe he did show up and they were all like, don't talk to KK. You know, it could be. It's possible. The opposite of what she said. Who knows? Should be interesting, though, to hear KK's reply to something like that. So uh, next story. Oh, wait. Do you have your segment? Oh, I do have my segment. I almost forgot. We're having so much fun talking about the news. Almost forgot about rock star birthdays. That's right. Got to celebrate them all year round. And now we're coming up to the end of the year. We're going to go up to Christmas. Actually, I don't have any Christmas babies on my list. 
like I was saying, I was talking to somebody the other day. This list is going to keep improving as time goes on. This is something you got to spend some time with to really build up the bank of birthdays. I know there's people I miss. Every week I do this and I go, oh, shit, it was that guy's birthday? I had no idea. But we're going to go down the list today. Happy birthday on the 13th, born in 1957. The man who had a huge part in both the bands, the Vinnie Vincent Invasion and Slaughter. Talking about Dana Strum. Also sold Ozzy on the idea of giving a young Randy Rhodes a shot. That's all right. Part of rock and roll history right there. Celebrating a heavenly birthday on the 14th. We were just talking about him a little bit earlier. Man, this was a guy who had a big impact on us, our listeners, and the Decibel Geek podcast as a whole. And a lot of rock fans all over the world for a long time. Would have been celebrating a birthday on the 14th, the legendary Dick Wagner. Oh, yeah, that's right. Miss that guy so much. Me too. We got a bunch of friends celebrating birthdays in December. Uh, three of them on the 15th. Jeremy Bednarski, Joey Vanchieri, and John Harper. Happy birthday, guys. Three of our coolest listeners. Oh, and on the 17th, Keith Rockford. Love that guy. That's a fine group of men right there. Celebrating a birthday on the 19th, one of our favorite people in the entire world, former guest on the show, was the lead vocalist of Hair of the Dog, played in the big rock show here in Nashville, would end up getting the gig playing with Gene Simmons as a part of the Gene Simmons band, and then go on to become a part of the Ace Fraley band. One of the nicest guys you could ever possibly meet on this entire planet. Talking about Ryan Cook. Yes, sir. I texted him earlier today. Fantastic. What a good guy, man. You know, sometimes in life, you look around and you go, man, you know, the good people are really the ones that, you know, get the hind tits sometimes, you know. And then you look at guys like Ryan Cook and be like, you know, but on the other side of that, there's some really awesome people that, you know, are hard workers, a joy to be around, fun, smiling all the time, always happy, it seems like. And, you know, a person like that is so attractive to other people. It's no wonder that he ended up playing with Gene Simmons and Ace Fraley in their bands. And he's still out with Ace now and. You know, I see posts all the time on the Facebook of just kick-ass pictures of that band up on the stage, having a blast. Ryan's smiling in every single picture, living the dream, brother. I'm so proud of you. Me too. Great guy. Love that dude. Speaking of Kiss, born in 1945 and celebrating a birthday on the 20th, the original Catman, Peter Chris. Nice. Gotta love that. Man, everybody loves Peter Chris, right? Well, not according to Family Guy, but yeah. <laughs> Nobody wants to be Peter Chris. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that when that was new. Yeah. That was so funny. And, and Kiss Saves Santa. Yep. It's a holiday, holiday classic. Yeah, it's it's awesome when Kiss gets like recognized like that and becomes more than just the band, but becomes part of pop culture like that. Yep. Uh, here's another good friend of ours celebrating a birthday on the 22nd, sat right next to me. That time I went down and seen that weird Gene Simmons speech thing that time. <laughs> you go down there, we have no idea what it's going to be about. 
We just know Gene Simmons is going to be there making an appearance. And then we sit down and everybody's quiet. And it's like two rock and roll dudes and a bunch of people in suits and nice dresses. <laughs> the other rock and roll dudes sitting, sitting right next to me, Christopher Johnson, celebrating a birthday on the 22nd. Awesome. Good dude. The original geek celebrating a birthday on the 24th. Happy birthday to Michael Butler. Oh, wow. The rock and roll geek. Yeah. May your table be large, my friend. <laughs> All through the year. Also celebrating a birthday on the 24th, our friend from the band 8-Ball, Val Bats. Hey. Hell of a cool dude. Like that guy. Here's a dude that we're going to be talking about. Well, we did talk about on the last episode of Decibel Geek. We'll be talking about on the upcoming episode of Decibel Geek. Born in 1963. Lars Ulrich. Nice. Celebrating a birthday. Then on, uh, oh, I said I was only going up to Christmas. <laughs> That's it. That's All your right. rock star birthdays for the week. Um, What else do we normally do? Oh, yeah, rock star death days. Let me look that up real quick. I got a spreadsheet of death. Spreadsheet of death? Mm-hmm. Let me bring it up. This is awesome. My old laptop, we'd be sitting here for an hour waiting for this thing to come up. I am ready right now. Looky here. Not so many. Good. <laughs> Not so many deaths this week. I like that. I like that a lot better. Last week, we had a lot. Yep. The week before that, we had a lot. This week looks like we got two. First one we lost back in the year 2002 at the age of 50 to a heart attack. Eh, it's Joe Strummer. Yeah, I remember that. Not a huge fan of The Clash. Maybe. Another one of those bands maybe I should give a deeper dive to, but maybe not. I don't know. Not a fan. That's my that's a that's my rousing tribute to Joe Strummer. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I know. That's I kind of feel bad for like putting them out there. Like, you assholes, you'd have been better off not paying tribute to them at all. Yeah. If that's what you were going to do. It's the worst eulogy okay. ever. Hey, everybody. Don't forget to remember Joe Strummer on the 22nd. Eh, he's all right. <laughs> all right. Well, here's one that I love a lot. And he hasn't been gone that long. But I think everybody knows him for one song. But if you ever took the time to dig a little bit deeper, you'd find that this man has a long career with a lot of albums, a lot of really kick-ass stuff. Talk about Leslie West. Oh, yeah. Passed away on December 23rd of 2020. I mean, Mississippi Queen, man. Yep. Amazing, amazing guitar player. For the longest time, that's the only song I ever knew. That was one of them things like, hey, who sings Mississippi Queen? And I'm like, uh, I don't know, Wasp? People are like, no, Mountain. But I never knew nothing about Mountain. But then you started talking about him, and then you played that weird theme for the... Oh, yeah, theme from an imaginary Western. Imaginary. What a weird song. That's the, that song was the inspiration for Going Blind. Yeah, it's a weird song, man, but it's cool. Mm -hmm. And then I started listening to other mountain stuff. I was like, man, there's so many great mountain songs that, you know, are even better than Mississippi Queen. 
Well, an Ace covered uh, Never In My Life on his last Origins record. Amazing. Amazing song. Ace did a great job with that one. And you know what? The styles match. You know, yeah. the bluesy rock. You know, I like that. And even up into the 80s and the 90s, Leslie West was doing stuff and putting out great albums. So something I recommend, you know, check out some Leslie West. The climbing, the climbing record is the one I would always suggest people check out. Yeah, he's got a solo album called The Great Fatsby. <laughs> he was a big dude. He was a big dude, and he called his album The Great Fatsby, and there's some really killer songs on there. And he's got another one called The Nantucket Sleigh Ride. Nice. And you know what that is? No. That's a phrase from the East Coast from way back of people that would hunt whales. Really? And if you were in a small boat and you harpooned a whale, then you were going on a Nantucket sleigh ride. How'd you figure that out? Because it drug you around. I bought the CD, and then I was like looking up information on it, and so then I went to Wikipedia to see what it said about it, and the title was in blue, and I thought, or it was for other uses or whatever of Nantucket sleigh ride, and I was like, well, that's weird. What is a Nantucket sleigh ride? I never heard it before. I never thought about it, but now I wanted to know what it meant. And so I looked it up and it's like, wow, things you learn. Yeah. That could have been a beat the geek question someday. I'm glad it's not. <laughs> now I blew it. All right. Those are your rock star death days. Just two of them. That's awesome. If you want to, you can listen to some Clash, but I recommend you listen to some Mountain. Not bad, just two. That makes me happy. Yeah. As far as new music coming out, it's over, people. The end of the year is here. Nobody's releasing Christmas albums or nothing like that. I think if there is anything coming out, it'll be a surprise to me. But I don't see anything on my lists that indicate we got anything big to look forward from here to the end of the year. But big stuff coming up in 2023 and... I think that means we're safe to start locking down our best of 2022 picks. Yep. Already in album review mode as we speak. Me too. And there's a lot that I got to go back and listen to. I got a handful picked out that I bought throughout the year and loved. And I know we're going to make my list, but I got room for a few more. And you know what? The way it goes every year, sometimes these ones that I thought for sure were going to be on my list end up getting knocked off by stuff I discover yep. in my last minute emergency digging through what came out in the year. Yep, absolutely. Very cool. Well, there you have it. Rockstar birthdays, rockstar death days. That's it. All right. Uh, this this is an interesting story that I found on Loudwire. Study shows that metal fans are among the most likely to have sex in their trucks. Hmm. That's interesting. You would think... That would go to country music fans. But no, the metal fans are the ones most likely to have sex in a truck. Country fans have more sex on their tractor. Oh, and on horseback. Yeah. That makes sense then. But yeah, they, they, uh, <laughs> the team at americantrucks.com analyzed two decades of Billboard Hot 100 hits for truck-related mentions, and they asked a 1,000-plus truck owners about their musical preferences and behaviors. 
Wow. What they discovered was that 6% of Hot 100 charting songs since 2000 contained truck-related terms, with country music being the most likely to include those terms. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yet, when the participants were asked, it was classic rock, metal, alternative, and blues that were the most popular music genres among truck truck drivers. And it says... Uh, these findings discredit the stereotype of truck drivers loving country. After all, trucks are great vehicles for just about anyone, but what do most truck drivers have in common and do any of their experiences align with their favorite type of music? One of those experiences was sex. 40% of the surveyed truck owners said they had a sexual encounter in their vehicles and listening, their listening preferences included metal blues and rock. Wow. <laughs> what a That's story. awesome. <laughs> they had followed it further. It's like, but I'll actually have sex listening to metal just about anywhere, really. Yeah, it doesn't matter what vehicle it is. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's our hardworking tax dollars at work. Was that something the Biden administration came out with? <laughs> I'm not commenting on that. I'm not even going to touch that. Oh, boy. All right. Uh, so Loudwire also did a 13 Kings of Stage Banter list. You oh, wow. Want to hear who they are? Sure, yeah. Oh, of course, it's a fucking video. All right. But, uh, oh, man. Well, actually, the most, fam- the most famous king of stage banter, according to this article. It's got to be Elvis, right? They're saying Paul Stanley. For real? Yep. Really? Yep. Like, I thought, wow, because Kiss never makes the list that they should make. Yeah. They had other ones on here, like Dave Grohl, D. Snyder, Steel Panther. Maynard James Keenan. Why would you put Maynard James Keenan on here? Um, he's, I mean, he's, he's 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 an outspoken front man. You know, he's very entertaining. Uh, he acts weird on stage. Perry Farrell also got mentioned. So, uh, but yeah, D. Snyder is listed on the video. I don't want to. I don't want to play the video. Oh, actually, I can. Oh, Paul Stanley. Okay. D. Snyder. Maynard James Keenan. Thank God for chapters. Steel Panther. Uh, Mikhail Ockerfelt from Opeth. Okay. Frank Mullen of Suffocation. Uh, Philip Anselmo. David In certain Lee. circles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. 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 Let's let's move on. Just, uh, I did, just I just love this guy's stage banter. Yeah. I don't. It just depends on what the banter is. Right. <laughs> yeah. Is he wearing a hood or not wearing a hood? Anyway, that's long. I'm the, not touching that. <laughs> uh, David Lee Roth, of course. Yeah. Uh, Perry Farrell and Bruce Dickinson. Well, I don't know, man. Like, I guess all those seem viable. Yeah. But when you talk about, like, I guess that's kind of a condensed version, because if you really open it up, you got to think about, like, Mick Jagger. You got to think about Elvis. But they're talking uh, about stage banter, not being a f- performing front man. Like, what you, the, the coolest stuff said between so, songs. Okay. Well, then that obviously, then Paul Stanley should be number one because, honey, that ain't a pistol. Yeah. I mean, he, goes, <laughs> he, goes, he goes to the doctor in every city. <laughs> that baby had the longest tongue I ever seen. <laughs> not only does he not know you, <laughs> um, this place looks like a zoo. Let me hear all the animals. <laughs> we could go for hours. <laughs> Take a drink anytime he says, people. I don't have my samples plot ready to go. I am actually quite amazed by that because when that comes up and you say 13 kings to stage banter, 
the obvious answer to me, number one, is always going to be Paul Stanley. But to see an actual list on the Internet mm. called 13 Kings of Stage Banter, where Paul Stanley is actually named number one and not like not on the list at all to make us angry. That makes me happy. I like that. <laughs> yeah. I, D. Snyder might might edge him out, I think, because he's, he's pretty amazing. Well, as long as he ain't screaming at the handicap section to get on their feet. That's, <laughs> I love that story. <laughs> That's pretty wild. Get the fuck up. I can't. I can't. Um, uh, this is another goofy story. Miles Kennedy, you know, of course, from Alter Bridge and Slash's band, um, recently shared that he had an air band as a kid, and you know, air guitar. And he looked back on it in uh, an interview with Classic Rock. He remember the first time they played for a church group or a group of church congregants in a fellow musician's basement. He says, my friends and I formed an air band and we told everyone we'd play a gig without any instruments. We set up in the church pianist basement and our parents thought it would be cute. Everyone was like, let's go downstairs and watch the kids play. However, mm-hmm. ahead of the fateful performance, those gathered didn't realize that the air band set list featured only full on metal. <laughs> He, nice. he says, uh, shout at the devil, screaming for vengeance, Iron Maiden. It took literally two songs to clear the entire room. It was wonderful. Wow. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, kids are great. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> that sounds like something me and my friends would have done when we were kids, you know? I can totally relate to dumb shit like that. I like that. And then uh, you had a story you added on here at the end that we want to close out with. Yeah, because everybody was talking this week about Sharon Osbourne. You know, I had a few people message me and tell me, oh, shit, look at Sharon Osbourne. Mm. I guess the story is she was out in California filming for some kind of uh, like ghost hunting type show. And something happened to her and she ended up in the hospital. Mm. We were worried about that because we thought, well, shit, something happens to Sharon. I don't know if Ozzy lasts a week without her. Oh no, that and that that would be the worst thing would be if she goes before he does. Yeah, 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 because he'd be miserable. He'd probably kill himself, and I hate, and I'm not even saying that to be you know hyperbolic. I, I think that's not hyperbole. I think he would actually try to kill himself. Yeah, you know, a lot of people talk shit about Sharon Osbourne, you know, and a lot of people have been you know angry at her for certain things over the years, whether it be song credits or Iron Maiden's deal or, you know, all of this stuff. But you know what? I always like Sharon Osbourne for as far as like, you know, her role on the TV show back in the day. And yeah, she made Ozzy do that stuff. And I didn't really like that. And sometimes it seems like she just keeps carting Ozzy out for the money. She does. But you know, but you know that Ozzy wants to be doing that stuff. I must, I'm, I try to assume that, um, I, to me, I do think he should have hung it up a long time ago and it does feel like she does roll him out on stage all the time, but I don't know. I mean, it's one of those things where he seems happy being married to her though. So, I mean, he's the one who has yeah. to live with her. So that's really more his business than mine. And she always seemed cool to me because, you know, like, I think, I think it's good if your wife's got a little Sharon Osborne in her, like in the way that. If somebody was fucking with her man, there's stands a good chance of their eyes getting scratched out of their head. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, because Sharon Osbourne is the type that stands up for her man. She stands up for her friends. You know, yep. she's very outspoken about her beliefs and feelings. And, you know, and like I said, if nobody fucks with Ozzy when Sharon's around, right? I mean, that don't fly. Right. 
Well, you end up getting the eggs. Dickinson. Yeah, you end up getting eggs thrown at you. What what the hell's going on? You know, and don't even know. And she's back there laughing, laughing at you. Yeah, he definitely he definitely knows she's in his corner. <laughs> yeah, and I like that because without Sharon in Ozzy's corner, odds are he'd have been dead. Like right after Sabbath. Oh yeah. Like before the first Ozzy album ever came out. I, I would so, agree with that. So I just thought in closing, you know, we send our best wishes to Sharon Osbourne. You know, some people don't like you, but I love you. I think you're awesome. I heard she is back at home and doing better. I'm glad to hear that. So there you have it. That is your Geek Wire for this week. One of the final weeks of 2022. A lot of big news this year. We're happy to bring it to you. All the most important stuff, things that you need to know. That's what you learn on Geek Wire. So, until next time, this is Aaron Camaro and Chris Sinzak. We'll see you later. See ya. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.